0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And we ask that you be with us as we hear from your word, as we listen to this passage from Luke. As we think about the events that were described, as we think about how these events are remembered and relived in our faith community. In our church, and as we think about why we do that, be with us this week as we prepare for your son's crucifixion, and as we prepare to celebrate his resurrection. We ask this on your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, we've reached Palm Sunday, and what's interesting about Palm Sunday is you see we have the red So we have a different color, um, indicating, I mean, this one here, you're going to see the crown, but also the cross. So it reminds us of what is going on when we have Palm Sunday. But what's also interesting that you might have noticed in the bulletin, if you looked ahead, is the bulletin also has this little bit at the end where we actually read the passion story. Because Palm Sunday is this interesting dual week where we celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, but then when we also recognize the beginning of Holy Week. So we have a sort of two emotions that we feel all at once on Palm Sunday, Um, and it can be confusing, but I want to point this out because as we begin Holy Week, we have this story of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, and then we have the story of what ends up happening that week. And then as Christians, we make sense of that, and we think about how it connects to our lives and why it matters that we retell the story every year. So our story that I've already read comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. So if you have the Pew Bible, I invite you to open up to this story because we're gonna look at it now in detail. If you want to look at the Pew Bible, that is number 913. Or if you want to take out your iPhone and pull up this on in the NIV, so it's what the same scripture. No one is gonna hold that against you, or at least I'm not going to. I'd rather you have the scripture in front of you that you can follow along with so that you're able to follow along then not follow along because you're afraid that people might be thinking you're doing something else on your phone. It's the 21st century and people have their phones out all the time. And in church, if we're looking at the Bible, I think it'd be okay. So Luke 19 verse 28, this is how the story begins. And now we've already read it, but let's listen to it again. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead Going to Jerusalem. So anytime we read the Bible, we do this a lot probably. If you have a devotional, it might not have you read the whole book. You might turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 28, and read this line after Jesus had said this. Now, if you're reading the Bible on your own and you read that, the very number one rule you always do is you say, Well, what did Jesus say? That is referred to as said this. So if we look back in chapter 19, we'll get a little sense of what is going on. So the very beginning of chapter 19, if you have your Bible, you can turn back and look. Chapter 19, verse 1. Does anyone recognize a name in there they want to say? It's one of those Bible names, but it's probably a Bible name, name everyone can say. Zacchaeus here hearing, right? Zacchaeus, everyone knows his story, I think especially if you grew up and you remember the Zacchaeus song. So Jesus is in Jericho, and in Jericho he encounters Zacchaeus. Now what we see next is that Jesus is in, in, he's in Jericho, and then he, he leaves Jericho, and he's on the, the road to Jerusalem. And verses 11 through 27 is a parable that Jesus tells while he's on that road and on that journey. And then Jesus, as we're told, went ahead going to Jerusalem. So the road from Jerusalem or from Jericho to Jerusalem was around 15 miles. And what's interesting is if you look at a map, you'll see that Jericho is actually a little bit northeast of Jerusalem. So why is it that they're said that Jesus went up or going up to Jerusalem? Why is that? It's because if you were to be able to look at the topography or the the way the land is laid out in Jerusalem or in Israel, Jerusalem is almost near what is called the the Jordan River, Um, and the Jordan River is in this crevice in Israel. So, um, so Jerusalem uh, not Jerusalem, but. uh, Jericho is actually 850 feet below sea level. And then Jerusalem is 3,000 feet higher. So on that 15-mile journey, they have to climb 3,000 feet to Jerusalem, which is at around 2,600 feet above sea level. So whenever it says that you go up to Jerusalem, it's because no matter where you were, you had to climb that mountain to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So this was about an eight-hour hike that Jesus makes with his disciples from Jericho to Jerusalem. And where they're entering is the west side of the city. So I've never been to to Jerusalem. I know that Cheryl, right, Cheryl, you get a chance to go next year or in a couple years. Cheryl's going. If you ever get a chance to go to Jerusalem, I've been told that things like this become alive because you actually see it. So Jerusalem, uh, if you're thinking about it from the north, on the the I think I put all this backwards in my mind. The eastern side of the city is called the Temple Mount. And it's actually got a name. And the the name of the mountain is Mount um, Moriah. And on this temple, or on this mountain, was the temple made to Yahweh, the God of Israel. So the first temple got destroyed. And then the second temple got rebuilt. And then King Herod the Great Spent lots of money to make the temple bigger. So it was around 40 acres. Okay, so you farmers, you know what 40 acres is more than me. That's, like, that's the amount of land we farm for the, over here, right? Or less? Ben's shaking his head, yes. Okay, so the land that we farm for um, food resource, 40 acres. So as you come from the, the eastern side of Jerusalem, you come up to the city, you see the temple on this mountain. And then there's a valley called the Kidron Valley. And then there's another mountain called the Mount of Olives, which we've heard about a lot. So Jesus is coming from the east. He's heading west into Jerusalem. And they see, coming up over into the Mount of Olives, they're going to see the temple up on the mountain. Forty acres, this huge, massive structure that was the center of their lives. Now this is what's happening. Jesus arrives in this town of Bethany Slash Bethage, which is just two little towns right there before you get to the Mount of Olives from the east. And this is what happens. He arrives. As he approached Bethage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, okay, so now we have the scene. They're on the western side, or the eastern side of Jerusalem. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? say, The Lord needs it. So Jesus arrives to these little towns right before the Mount of Olives. And he sends two of his disciples into a village, probably one of those two villages, to find a colt tied in the town square. And he says, grab the colt. Don't ask anybody. Just bring it to me. If anyone asks, just tell them that the Lord needs it. So they go. Now what's interesting is why does Jesus ask for a colt? And what we're going to see, and we already got a glimpse of this, and we've, we know the story maybe, we probably know the story, I don't want to assume everyone does, but Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem as king. So the scene is that, the reason that Jesus is even going to Jerusalem is because it's almost time for the Passover, now, what this means is that road from Jericho to Jerusalem was not just Jesus and his disciples. It was tons and tons and tons of Jewish people, pilgrims, traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So the, the population of Jerusalem during Passover, I mean, depending on who you read, there's tons of op- opinions, but at least six times greater than during, than during the normal days. Six times greater. So that's how many Jewish people came to celebrate the Passover. Now, when people came, they walked. They didn't ride donkeys. People didn't ride donkeys. They didn't have animals. They couldn't afford it. It's not what they did. People walked. So, what Jesus is doing is he says, I want this colt. So, he's going to instantly stand out on the road. So, why is it that he wants the colt? So, I think the biggest reason is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is what it says in Zechariah Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So Jesus, as a good Jew, knows his scripture. So do all of his fellow Israelites who are on the road. And Jesus knows that if people see someone riding a donkey into Jerusalem, that this passage is going to be brought to their mind. And a lot of the people there knew who Jesus was. They might have already thought things about Jesus, and now they see him riding on a colt. So Jesus wants to have this sort of return to Jerusalem as a king. But let's hold the story there and continue. Just keep in our mind that Jesus wants to associate himself with this passage from Zechariah. The passage continues now in verse 32. <clears throat> so those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they, he had told them. So went and found the colt. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you in tying the colt? And they replied, "The Lord needs it." They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So Jesus tells his disciples, "Go find this colt," and they go and they find it just where he said they would. They're even asked a question, and his answer is sufficient. So they they bring this colt back to Jesus and they make a saddle for him so that he can sit on it. So Jesus begins the final leg of his journey from this region, this town of Bethany and and he enters Jerusalem. So this journey was probably less than 2 miles. And it would have been down the mountain, Mount of Olives, and then up the Temple Mount into one of the gates over by the temple. So Jesus' final leg, he is on a young colt. He knows that the people walking with him are going to see this colt and be reminded of Zechariah 9. And the thing is, that once Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the temple is full of people people getting ready for Passover, people making sacrifices so that they're able to celebrate the Passover, people who are gathering there to see friends they haven't seen all year. It's the cultural center. It's where people went. And Jesus is going to arrive and everyone in Jerusalem that's Jewish is going to be able to hear and see what he does. He wants to be welcomed into the city as a king. So Jesus treats his arrival into Jerusalem like he's a king. And this is how the people around him respond, starting in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, so remember, at this point, I imagine, I've never been there, so I can't imagine it for real, but I imagine that at some point the road either comes around a bend or comes up over an edge. And all of a sudden they see that they're going to start going down the valley. And they see the temple over above them. Think about it, 40 acres is this huge structure. It's, you can see it from everywhere. And it's just this massive thing right there in their background as they approach. And then the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. So now the people with Jesus who are described as his disciples, but certainly there's other people there too, and Jesus' disciples were not just the 12 disciples, it was the larger group that followed him, but he did have the 12 disciples who he called apostles who were his closest disciples, but he would have had a giant following of people who were everywhere with him, listening to him. And this group of people began to joyfully praise God because of what they'd seen Jesus do. So what their praises are to God about is about Jesus. And what they do is they actually use another passage from their scriptures, from Psalm 118, verse 26, whenever they praise God. And this is what they say if we look at verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So, Jesus' disciples are there with him. And they start to shout Psalm 118, verse 26. But what's interesting is they actually add one word. They add the word king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Instead of blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this passage, this psalm, Psalm 118, is from a section of psalms that was often used at the Passover. So it wasn't uncommon for people to say these psalms, to hear them read throughout the week and recited and sang. But what's interesting is that while Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, he is recognized as the one who comes as king in the name of the Lord. So the disciples with Jesus, this is what they do. They are with him. Jesus doesn't tell them what he's trying to do. But they interpret the situation based on what they see. It's like if you ever go to Bandito's and you hear the birthday song. Everyone knows it's someone's birthday. I mean, you know as soon as you hear the claps, right? Because Bandito's always did those claps. I'm not going to try to do it because it's been a while. I don't know if I can remember. They did the clap and you'd hear him coming and you'd know. And then... A lot of times, if they were close, you would join in because you knew that that was what was happening. You assumed they were celebrating someone's birthday. It was so clear. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem is so clear that Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. There's no other question about it. That's what he was trying to do. And that's what his disciples recognized. Jesus enter Jerusalem as king our story is also part of this story Jesus the Messiah the chosen one to come and take the throne of David and save Israel is recognized in Jesus he is this Messiah he is the king What's also interesting about this entrance is we call it the triumphant entry, but actually, compared to the Roman triumphant entry, it was nothing. So when Jesus does these things, there is associations with what's happening in Rome. In particular, as Alan had said, the palm branches would have been used, and when, these aren't recorded in, in Luke, but they're in other Gospels. The palm branches would have been used to welcome a king or a ruler, and the cloaks being laid on the ground also would have been recognized as what Roman people did. But what's interesting is that a Roman triumphant entry was a lot different. So <clears throat> an example of this is HBO a long time ago did this series on, um, on Rome, and it was basically about the rise of Julius Caesar and then the Roman Empire. So and there's one scene in one of the episodes where Julius Caesar finally gets to come back to Rome because he's been battling uh, the Gauls for several years. And a lot of people in the Roman Senate think that he is a tyrant and they want to declare him a traitor. But the people of Rome love him. So Julius Caesar comes back and then he has this, he has this giant parade to celebrate his return. So the way the parade goes in the movie or in the, in the show is that first all these armies enter. It's a giant military parade. And then Julius Caesar enters, and he's on a chariot pulled by several white horses. And his face is painted. And then he comes in, and then next they bring in the king of Gaul, who symbolizes the victory over the Gauls. They've conquered this nation. The Roman Empire has grown. And you know what Julius Caesar does in the show now? I don't know if this is historical or not. But it definitely captures the way Romans did things. Julius Caesar executes the king in front of the crowds to symbolize his power and authority to be the emperor of the Roman Empire. So that's the world Jesus and his, and his people live in. And then Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a little colt, either a baby horse or a, or a young horse or a, most likely a young donkey. He comes with a peaceful entry. So what we see in this is that Jesus is going to be a different kind of king. Because remember, Jesus arriving is a threat to the kings already in place. But Jesus is going to be a different kind of king. But Jesus entered Jerusalem as king that day. And of course, there's going to be a response from the rulers in the the, religious leaders. And this is the response that we see in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So they want Jesus to tell his disciples, hey, he's like, I'm not king. I'm not trying to do anything. That's what the Pharisees are saying. They're like, hey, ask your people to be quiet. We don't want to stir up trouble. We already have the city growing to six times its normal size. There's already heightened security because things can get rowdy. And the Romans are nervous. And here you are pretending to be king. But Jesus' response is this. Verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And the stones here could actually be referring to the temple right in front of them. The temple would cry out that Jesus is king. No matter what the Israelite people wanted to do, or no matter what the um, Jewish leaders wanted to do, Jesus was going to be king. But Jesus' entrance would have been a problem. Because remember, Jerusalem already had a king, Herod. Or at that point, probably one of Herod's sons. And remember, that person had a king too, the emperor. But Jesus is king. And Jesus entered Jerusalem as king that day. But remember, Jesus entered as a different kind of king. From the beginning, his entrance... The first time that he clearly claims his authority as king over the world when he enters Jerusalem, what we just celebrated, on that day, he entered as king, but on a donkey, coming in peace without armies. And then what happens later in the story? Well, we know, and we're going to relive it this week, so I'm not going to tell you until we get there. Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. And this week, this is my challenge for all of us. Okay? Think about how Jesus is a different kind of king. On Monday, Thursday, as we talk about what he did, Good Friday, what happened? And even Easter morning, sunrise service, what kind of king is Jesus? And then even think about our own rulers and our own authority figures and our own politicians and what they try to communicate to us about themselves. But remember, we already have a king. Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. This week, our job is to think about what kind of king he is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today And we recognize your son is king. We remember today his entrance into Jerusalem as king. When he was received with malice and hate, may we relive his story with him this week. May we be carefully observing his character in the way that he carries himself as the king of the world. And may we learn from that and may we be shaped more into that image. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.